Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. Stories of Red Hanrahan by W. B. Yates. Red Hanrahan. Hanrahan, the hedge schoolmaster, a tall, strong, red-haired young man, came into the barn where some of the men of the village were sitting on Samhain Eve. It had been a dwelling house, and when the man that owned it had built a better one, he had put the two rooms together, and kept it for a place to store one thing or another. There was a fire on the old hearth, and there were dip candles stuck in bottles, and there was a black cord bottle upon some boards that had been put across two barrels to make a table. Most of the men were sitting beside the fire, and one of them was singing a long wandering song about a Munster man and a Connaught man that were quarreling about their two provinces. Hammerhan went to the man of the house and said, I got your message. But when he had said that, he stopped, for an old mountainy man that had a shirt and trousers of unbleached flannel, and that was sitting by himself near the door, was looking at him, and moving an old pack of cards about in his hands and muttering. Don't mind him, said the man of the house. He is only some stranger came in a while ago, and we bade him welcome, it being Samhain night, but I think he is not in his right wits. Listen to him now, and you will hear what he is saying. They listened then, and they could hear the old man muttering to himself as he turned the cards, spades and diamonds, courage and power, clubs and hearts, knowledge and pleasure. That is the kind of talk he has been going on with for the last hour, said the man of the house, and Harahan turned his eyes from the old man as if he did not like to be looking at him. I got your message, Hanrahan said then. He is in the barn with his three first cousins from Kilcreus, the messenger said, and there are some of the neighbors with them. It is my cousin over there is wanting to see you, said the man of the house, and he called over a young frieze-coated man, who was listening to the song, and said, This is Red Hanrahan you have the message for. It is a kind message, indeed, said the young man, for it comes from your sweetheart, Mary Lavelle. How would you get a message from her? and what do you know of her? I don't know her, indeed, but I was in Locria yesterday, and a neighbor of hers that had some dealings with me was saying that she bade him send you word, if he met any one from this side in the market, that her mother has died from her, and if you have a mind yet to join with herself, she is willing to keep her word to you. I will go to her indeed, said Hanrahan, and she bade you make no delay, for if she has not a man in the house before the month is out, it is likely the little bit of land will be given to another. When Hanrahan heard that, he rose up from the bench he had sat down on. I will make no delay indeed, he said, there is a full moon, and if I get as far as Giltrice tonight, I will reach to her before the setting of the sun tomorrow. When the others heard that, they began to laugh at him for being in such haste to go to his sweetheart, and one asked him if he would leave his school in the old limekiln, where he was giving the children such good learning but he said the children would be glad enough in the morning to find the place empty, and no one to keep them at their task, and as for his school he could set it up again in any place, having as he had his little inkpot hanging from his neck by a chain, and his big Virgil and his primer in the skirt of his coat. Some of them asked him to drink a glass before he went, and a young man caught hold of his coat, and said he must not leave them without singing the song he had made in praise of Venus and of Mary Lavelle. He drank a glass of whiskey, but he said he would not stop but would set out on his journey. There's time enough, 
Red Hanrahan, said the man of the house. It will be time enough for you to give up sport when you are after your marriage, and it might be a long time before we will see you again. I will not stop, said Hanrahan. My mind would be on the roads all the time, bringing me to the woman that sent for me, and she lonesome and watching till I come. Some of the others came about him, pressing him that had been such a pleasant comrade, so full of songs and every kind of trick and fun, not to leave them till the night would be over. But he refused them all, and shook them off, and went to the door. But as he put his foot over the threshold, the strange old man stood up and put his hand that was thin and withered like a bird's claw on Harahan's hand, and said, It is not Harahan, the learned man and the great songmaker, that should go out from a gathering like this, on a Samhain night. And stop here, now, he said, and play a hand with me, and here is an old pack of cards has done its work many a night before this, and old as it is, there has been much of the riches of the world lost, and won over it. One of the young men said, It isn't much of the riches of the world has stopped with yourself, old man. And he looked at the old man's bare feet, and they all laughed. But Hanrahan did not laugh, but he sat down very quietly, without a word. Then one of them said, So you will stop with us after all, Hanrahan. And the old man said, He will stop indeed. Did you not hear me asking him? They all looked at the old man then as if wondering where he came from. It is far I am come, he said, through France I have come, and through Spain, and by lock grain of the hidden mouth, and none has refused me anything. And then he was silent, and nobody liked to question him, and they began to play. There were six men at the boards playing, and the others were looking on behind. They played two or three games for nothing, and then the old man took a fourpenny bit, worn very thin and smooth, out from his pocket, and he called to the rest to put something on the game. Then they all put down something on the boards, and little as it was it looked much, from the way it was shoved from one to another, first one man winning it, and then his neighbor. And sometimes the luck would go against a man, and he would have nothing left, and then one or another would lend him something, and he would pay it again out of his winnings, for either good nor bad luck stopped long with anyone. And once Hammerhand said as a man would say in a dream, It is time for me to be going the road. But just then a good card came to him, and he played it out, and all the money began to come to him. And once he thought of Mary Lavelle, and he sighed, and that time his luck went from him, and he forgot her again. But at last the luck went to the old man, and it stayed with him, and all they had flowed into him, and he began to laugh little laughs to himself, and to sing over and over to himself spades and diamonds, courage and power, and so on, as if it was a verse of a song. And after a while anyone looking at the men, and seeing the way their bodies were rocking to and fro, and the way they kept their eyes on the old man's hands, would think they had drink taken, or that the whole store they had in the world was put on the cards. But that was not so, for the quart bottle had not been disturbed since the game began, and was nearly full yet, and all that was on the game was a few sixpenny bits and shillings and maybe a handful of coppers. You are good men to win and good men to lose, said the old man. You have play in your hearts. He began then to shuffle the cards and to mix them, very quick and fast, till at last they could not see them to be cards at all. But you would think him to be making rings of fire in the air, as little lads would make them with whirling a lighted stick, and after that it seemed to them that all the room was dark, and they could see nothing but his hands and the cards and all in a minute a hare made a leap out from between his hands, and whether it was one of the cards that took that shape, 
or whether it was made out of nothing in the palms of his hands, nobody knew, but there it was running on the floor of the barn, as quick as any hare that ever lived. Some looked at the hare, but more kept their eyes on the old man, and while they were looking at him a hound made a leap out between his hands, the same way as the hare did, and after that another hound and another, till there was a whole pack of them following the hare round and round the barn. The players were all standing up now, with their backs to the boards, shrinking from the hounds, and nearly deafened with the noise of their yelping, but as quick as the hounds were they could not overtake the hare, but it went round, till at the last it seemed as if a blast of wind burst open the barn door, and the hare doubled and made a leap over the boards where the men had been playing, and went out of the door and away through the night, and the hounds over the boards and through the door, after it. Then the old man called out, Follow the hounds, follow the hounds, and it is a great hunt you will see tonight, and he went out after them. But used as the men were to go hunting after hares, and ready as they were for any sport, they were in dread to go out into the night, and it was only Hanrahan that rose up and that said, I will follow, I will follow on. You had best stop here, Hanrahan, the young man that was nearest him said, for you might be going into some great danger. But Hanrahan said, I will see fair play, I will see fair play, and he went stumbling out of the door like a man in a dream and the door shut after him as he went. He thought he saw the old man in front of him, but it was only his own shadow that the full moon cast on the road before him, but he could hear the hounds crying after the hare over the wide green fields of Granick, and he followed them very fast for there was nothing to stop him, and after a while he came to smaller fields that had little walls of loose stones around them, and he threw the stones down as he crossed them, and did not wait to put them up again and he passed by the place where the river goes underground at Ballylee, and he could hear the hounds going before him up towards the head of the river. Soon he found it harder to run, for it was uphill he was going, and clouds came over the moon, and it was hard for him to see his way, and once he left the path to take a short cut, but his foot slipped into a bog hole and he had to come back to it. And how long he was going he did not know, or what way he went, but at last he was up on the bare mountain, with nothing but the rough heather about him, and he could neither hear the hounds nor any other thing. But their cry began to come to him again, at first far off and then very near, and when it came quite close to him, it went up all of a sudden into the air, and there was the sound of hunting over his head, then it went away northward till he could hear nothing more at all. That's not fair, he said, that's not fair, and he could walk no longer but sat down on the heather where he was, in the heart of Slievech, for all the strength had gone from him, with the dint of the long journey he had made. And after a while he took notice that there was a door close to him, and a light coming from it, and he wondered that being so close to him he had not seen it before. And he rose up, and tired as he was he went in at the door, of and although it was night time outside, it was daylight he found within. And presently he met with an old man that had been gathering summertime and yellow flag flowers, and it seemed as if all the sweet smells of the summer were with them. And the old man said, It is a long time you have been coming to us, Hammerhan the learned man and the great songmaker. And with that he brought him into a very big shining house, and every grand thing Hammerhan had ever heard of, and every color he had ever seen, were in it. There was a high place at the end of the house and on it there was sitting in a high chair a woman, the most beautiful the world ever saw, having a long pale face and flowers about it, but she had the tired look of one that had been long waiting. 
and there was sitting on the step below her chair four gray old women, and the one of them was holding a great cauldron in her lap, and another a great stone on her knees, and heavy as it was it seemed light to her, and another of them had a very long spear that was made of pointed wood, and the last of them had a sword that was without a scabbard. Red Hanrahan stood looking at them for a long Hanrahan time, but none of them spoke any word to him or looked at him at all. And he had it in his mind to ask who that woman in the chair was, that was like a queen, and what she was waiting for. But ready as he was with his tongue and afraid of no person, he was in dread now to speak to so beautiful a woman, and in so grand a place. And then he thought to ask what were the four things the four gray old women were holding like great treasures, but he could not think of the right words to bring out. Then the first of the old women rose up, holding the cauldron between her two hands, and she said pleasure, and Hanrahan said no word. Then the second old woman rose up with the stone in her hands, and she said power, and the third old woman rose up with the spear in her hand, and she said courage, and the last of the old women rose up having the sword in her hands, and she said knowledge, and everyone, after she had spoken, waited as if for Hanrahan to question her, but he said nothing at all. And then the four old women went out of the door, bringing their tur treasures with them, and as they went out one of them said, He has no wish for us, and another said, He is weak, he is weak, and another said, He is afraid, and the last said, His wits are gone from him. And then they all said, Ech, daughter of the silver hand, must stay in her sleep. It is a pity, it is a great pity. And then the woman that was like a queen gave a very sad sigh, and it seemed to Hanrahan as if the sigh had the sound in it of hidden streams, and if the place he was in had been ten times grander and more shining than it was, he could not have hindered sleep from coming on him, and he staggered like a drunken man and lay down there and then. When Hanrahan awoke, the sun was shining on his face, but there was white frost on the grass around him, and there was ice on the edge of the stream he was lying by and that goes running on through Derkale and Druengarad. He knew by the shape of the hills and by the shining of locked grain in the distance that he was upon one of the hills of Slevech, but he was not sure how he came there, for all that had happened in the barn had gone from him, and all of his journey but the soreness of his feet and the stiffness in his bones. It was a year after that, there were men of the village of Capactigal sitting by the fire in a house on the roadside, and Red Hanrahan that was now very thin and worn and his hair very long and wild, came to the half-door and asked leave to come in and rest himself, and they bid him welcome because it was Samhain night. He sat down with them, and they gave him a glass of whiskey out of a quart bottle, and they saw the little inkpot hanging about his neck, and knew he was a scholar, and asked for stories about the Greeks. He took the Virgil out of the big pocket of his coat, but the cover was very black and swollen with the wet and the page when he opened it was very yellow, but that was no great matter, for he looked at it like a man that had never learned to read. Some young man that was there began to laugh at him then, and to ask why did he carry so heavy a book with him when he was not able to read it. It vexed Hanrahan to hear that, and he put the Virgil back in his pocket and asked if they had a pack of cards among them, for cards were better than books. When they brought out the cards he took them and began to shuffle them, and while he was shuffling them something seemed to come into his mind, and he put his hand to his face like one that is trying to remember, and he said, Was I ever here before, or where was I on a night like this? And then of a sudden he stood up and let the cards fall to the floor, and he said, Who was it brought me a message from Mary Lavelle?
We never saw you before now, and we never heard of Mary Lavelle, said the man of the house. And who is she, he said, and what is it you are talking about? It was this night a year ago, I was in a barn, and there were men playing cards, and there was money on the table, they were pushing it from one to another here and there, and I got a message, and I was going out of the door to look for my sweetheart that wanted me, Mary Lavelle, and then Hanrahan called out very loud, where have I been since then? Where was I for the whole year? It is hard to say where you might have been in that time, said the oldest of the men, or what part of the world you may have traveled and it is like enough you have the dust of many roads on your feet. For there are many go wandering and forgetting like that, he said, when once they have been given the touch. That is true, said another of the men. I knew a woman went wandering like that through the length of seven years. She came back after, and she told her friends she had often been glad enough to eat the food that was put in the pig's trough. And it is best for you to go to the priest now, he said, and let him take off you whatever may have been put upon you. It is to my sweetheart I will go, to Mary Lavelle, said Hanrahan. It is too long I have delayed. How do I know what might have happened her in the length of a year? He was going out of the door then, but they all told him it was best for him to stop the night, and to get strength for the journey. And indeed he wanted that, for he was very weak, and when they gave him food he ate it like a man that had never seen food before, and one of them said, He is eating as if he had trodden on the hungry grass. It was in the white light of the morning he set out, and the time seemed long to him till he could get to Mary Lavelle's house. But when he came to it, he found the door broken, and the thatch dropping from the roof, and no living person to be seen. And when he asked the neighbors what had happened her, all they could say was that she had been put out of the house, and had married some laboring man, and they had gone looking for work to London or Liverpool or some big place and whether she found a worse place or a better he never knew, but anyway he never met with her or with news of her again. The Twisting of the Rope Hanrahan was walking the roads one time near Kinvara at the fall of day, and he heard the sound of a fiddle from a house a little way off the roadside. He turned up the path to it, for he never had the habit of passing by any place where there was music or dancing or good company, without going in. The man of the house was standing at the door, and when Hanrahan came near he knew him and he said, A welcome before you, Hanrahan, you have been lost to us this long time. But the woman of the house came to the door, and she said to her husband, I would be as well pleased for Hanrahan not to come in tonight, for he has no good name now among the priests, or with women that mind themselves. And I wouldn't wonder from his walk if he has a drop of drink taken. But the man said I will never. Turn away Hanrahan of the poets from my door and with that he bade him enter. There were a good many neighbors gathered in the house, and some of them remembered Hanrahan, but some of the little lads that were in the corners had only heard of him, and they stood up to have a view of him, and one of them said, Is not that Hanrahan that had the school, and that was brought away by them? But his mother put her hand over his mouth and bade him be quiet, and not be saying things like that. For Hanrahan is apt to grow wicked, she said, if he hears talk of that story, or if anyone goes questioning him, one or another called out then, asking him for a song, but the man of the house said it was no time to ask him for a song, before he had rested himself, and he gave him whiskey in a glass, and Hanrahan thanked him and wished him good health and drank it off. The fiddler was tuning his fiddle for another dance, and the man of the house said to the young men, they would all know what dancing was like when they saw Hanrahan dance, 
for the like of it had never been seen since he was there before. Hanrahan said he would not dance, he had better use for his feet now, traveling as he was through the five provinces of Ireland. Just as he said that, there came in at the half-door Una, the daughter of the house, having a few bits of bog deal from Connemara in her arms for the fire. She threw them on the hearth and the flame rose up, and showed her to be very comely and smiling, and two or three of the young men rose up and asked for a dance. But Hanrahan crossed the floor and brushed the others away, and said it was with him she must dance, after the long road he had traveled before he came to her. And it is likely he said some soft word in her ear, for she said nothing against it, and stood out with him, and there were little blushes in her cheeks. Then other couples stood up, but when the dance was going to begin, Hanrahan chanced to look down, and he took notice of his boots that were worn and broken, and the ragged gray socks showing through them, and he said angrily it was a bad floor, and the music no great things, and he sat down in the dark place beside the hearth. But if he did, the girls sat down there with him. The dancing went on, and when that dance was over another was called for, and no one took much notice of Una and Red Hanrahan for a while, in the corner where they were. But the mother grew to be uneasy, and she called to Una to come and help her to set the table in the inner room. But Una that had never refused her before said she would come soon, but not yet, for she was listening to whatever he was saying in her ear. The mother grew yet more uneasy then, and she would come nearer them, and let on to be stirring the fire or sweeping the hearth, and she would listen for a minute to hear what the poet was saying to her child. And one time she heard him telling about white-handed Deirdre, and how she brought the sons of Usnak to their death, and how the blush in her cheeks was not so red as the blood of king's sons that was shed for her, and her sorrows had never gone out of mind, and he said it was maybe the memory of her that made the cry of the plover on the bog as sorrowful in the ear of the poets as the keening of young men for a comrade. And there would never have been that memory of her, he said, if it was not for the poets that had put her beauty in their songs. And the next time she did not well understand what he was saying, but as far as she could hear, it had the sound of poetry though it was not rhymed, and this is what she heard him say, The sun and the moon are the man and the girl, they are my life and your life, they are traveling and ever traveling through the skies as if under the one hood. It was God made them for one another. He made your life and my life before the beginning of the world, he made them that they might go through the world, up and down like the two best dancers that go on with the dance up and down the long floor of the barn, fresh and laughing, when all the rest are tired out and leaning against the wall. The old woman went then to where her husband was playing cards, but he would take no notice of her, and then she went to a woman of the neighbors and said, Is there no way we can get them from one another? And without waiting for an answer she said to some young men that were talking together, What good are you when you cannot make the best girl in the house come out and dance with you? And go now the whole of you, she said, and see can you bring her away from the poet's talk. But Una would not listen to any of them, but only moved her hand as if to send them away. Then they called to Hanrahan, and said he had best dance with the girl himself, or let her dance with one of them. When Hanrahan heard what they were saying he said, That is so, I will dance with her. There is no man in the house must dance with her but myself. He stood up with her then, and led her out by the hand and some of the young men were vexed, and some began mocking at his ragged coat and his broken boots. But he took no notice, and Una took no notice, but they looked at one another as if all the world belonged to themselves alone. 
But another couple that had been sitting together like lovers stood out on the floor at the same time, holding one another's hands and moving their feet to keep time with the music. But Hanrahan turned his back on them as if angry, and in place of dancing he began to sing, and as he sang he held her hand, and his voice grew louder, and the mocking of the young men stopped, and the fiddle stopped, and there was nothing heard but his voice that had in it the sound of the wind. And what he sang was a song he had heard or had made one time in his wanderings on Slevech, and the words of it as they can be put into English were like this. And while he was singing it Una moved nearer to him, and the color had gone from her cheek, and her eyes were not blue now, but gray with the tears that were in them, and any one that saw her would have thought she was ready to follow him there, and then from the west to the east of the world. But one of the young men called out, Where is that country he is singing about? Mind yourself, Una, it is a long way off, you might be a long time on the road before you would reach to it. And another said, It is not to the country of the young you will be going if you go with him, but to Mayo of the Bogs. Una looked at him then as if she would question him, but he raised her hand in his hand, and called out between singing and shouting, It is very near us that country is, it is on every side. It may be on the bare hill behind it is, or it may be in the heart of the wood. And he said out very loud and clear, in the heart of the wood, Oh, death will never find us in the heart of the wood. And will you come with me there, Una? he said. But while he was saying this the two old women had gone outside the door, and Una's mother was crying, and she said, He has put an enchantment on Una. Can we not get the men to put him out of the house? That is a thing you cannot do, said the other woman, for he is a poet of the gale. And you know well if you would put a poet of the gale out of the house, he would put a curse on you that would wither the corn in the fields and dry up the milk of the cows, if it had to hang in the air seven years. God help us, said the mother, and why did I ever let him into the house at all, and the wild name he has? It would have been no harm at all to have kept him outside, but there would great harm come upon you if you put him out by force. But listen to the plan I have to get him out of the house by his own doing without any one putting him from it at all. It was not long after that the two women came in again, each of them having a bundle of hay in her apron. Hanrahan was not singing now, but he was talking to Una very fast and soft, and he was saying, The house is narrow but the world is wide, and there is no true lover that need be afraid of night, or morning, or sun, or stars, or shadows of evening, or any earthly thing. Hanrahan said the mother then, striking him on the shoulder, Will you give me a hand here for a minute? Do that, Hanrahan, said the woman of the neighbors, and help us to make this hay into a rope, for you are ready with your hands, and a blast of wind has loosened the thatch on the haystack. I will do that for you, said he, and he took the little stick in his hands, and the mother began giving out the hay, and he twisting it, but he was hurrying to have done with it, and to be free again. The women went on talking and giving out the hay, and encouraging him and saying what a good twister of a rope he was, better than their own neighbors or than any one they had ever seen. And Hanrahan saw that Una was watching him, and he began to twist very quick and with his head high, and to boast of the readiness of his hands, and the learning he had in his head, and the strength in his arms. And as he was boasting, he went backward, twisting the rope always till he came to the door that was open behind him, and without thinking he passed the threshold and was out on the road. And no sooner was he there than the mother made a sudden rush, and threw out the rope after him, and she shut the door and the half-door and put a bolt upon them.
She was well pleased when she had done that, and laughed out loud, and the neighbors laughed and praised her. But they heard him beating at the door, and saying words of cursing outside it, and the mother had but time to stop Una that had her hand upon the bolt to open it. She made a sign to the fiddler then, and he began a reel, and one of the young men asked no leave but caught hold of Una and brought her into the thick of the dance. And when it was over and the fiddle had stopped, there was no sound at all of anything outside, but the road was as quiet as before. As to Hanrahan, when he knew he was shut out and that there was neither shelter nor drink nor a girl's ear for him that night, the anger and the courage went out of him, and he went on to where the waves were beating on the strand. He sat down on a big stone, and he began swinging his right arm and singing slowly to himself, the way he did always to hearten himself when every other thing failed him. And whether it was that time or another time he made the song that is called to this day the twisting of the rope, and that begins, what was the dead cat that put me in this place, is not known. But after he had been singing a while, mist and shadows seemed to gather about him, sometimes coming out of the sea, and sometimes moving upon it. It seemed to him that one of the shadows was the queen woman he had seen in her sleep at Slevech, not in her sleep now, but mocking, and calling out to them that were behind her. He was weak, he was weak, he had no courage, and he felt the strands of the rope in his hand yet, and went on twisting it, but it seemed to him as he twisted that it had all the sorrows of the world in it. And then it seemed to him as if the rope had changed in his dream into a great waterworm that came out of the sea, and that twisted itself about him, and held him closer and closer, and grew from big to bigger till the whole of the earth and skies were wound up in it, and the stars themselves were but the shining of the ridges of its skin. And then he got free of it, and went on, shaking and unsteady, along the edge of the strand, and the gray shapes were flying here and there around him. And this is what they were saying, It is a pity for him that refuses the call of the daughters of the city, for he will find no comfort in the love of the women of the earth to the end of life and time, and the cold of the grave is in his heart forever. It is death he has chosen, let him die. Let him die, let him die. Hanrahan and Kathleen the daughter of Hulihan. It was traveling northward Hanrahan was one time, giving a hand to a farmer now and again in the hurried time of the year, and telling his stories and making his share of songs at wakes and at weddings. He chanced one day to overtake on the road to Kaluni one Margaret Rooney, a woman he used to know in Munster when he was a young man. She had no good name at that time, and it was the priest routed her out of the place at last. He knew her by her walk and by the color of her eyes, and by a way she had of putting back the hair off her face with her left hand. She had been wandering about, she said, selling herrings and the like, and now she was going back to Sligo, to the place in the borough where she was living with another woman, Mary Gillis, who had much the same story as herself. She would be well pleased, she said, if he would come and stop in the house with them, and be singing his songs to the bacacs and blind men and fiddlers of the borough. She remembered him well, she said, and had a wish for him, and as to Mary Gillis, she had some of his songs off by heart, so he need not be afraid of not getting good treatment, and all the bacacs and poor men that heard him would give him a share of their own earnings for his stories and his songs while he was with them, and would carry his name into all the parishes of Ireland. He was glad enough to go with her, and to find a woman to be listening to the story of his troubles and to be comforting him. It was at the moment of the fall of day when every man may pass as handsome and every woman as comely. 
She put her arm about him when he told her of the misfortune of the twisting of the rope, and in the half-light she looked as well as another. They kept in talk all the way to the burrow, and as for Mary Gillis, when she saw him and heard who he was, she went near crying to think of having a man with so great a name in the house. Hanrahan was well pleased to settle down with them for a while, for he was tired with wandering, and since the day he found the little cabin fallen in, and Mary Lavelle gone from it, and the thatch scattered, he had never asked to have any place of his own, and he had never stopped long enough in any place to see the green leaves come where he had seen the old leaves wither, or to see the wheat harvested where he had seen it sown. It was a good change to him to have shelter from the wet, and a fire in the evening time, and his share of food put on the table without the asking. He made a good many of his songs while he was living there, so well cared for and so quiet, the most of them were love songs, but some were songs of repentance, and some were songs about Ireland and her griefs, under one name or another. Every evening the bacacs and beggars and blind men and fiddlers would gather into the house and listen to his songs and his poems, and his stories about the old time of the Fianna, and they kept them in their memories that were never spoiled with books, and so they brought his name to every wake and wedding and pattern in the whole of Connaught. He was never so well off or made so much of as he was at that time. One evening of December he was singing a little song that he said he had heard from the green plover of the mountain, about the fair-haired boys that had left Limerick, and that were wandering and going astray in all parts of the world. There were a good many people in the room that night, and two or three little lads that had crept in, and sat on the floor near the fire, and were too busy with the roasting of a potato in the ashes or some such thing to take much notice of him, but they remembered long afterwards when his name had gone up, the sound of his voice, and what way he had moved his hand, and the look of him as he sat on the edge of the bed, with his shadow falling on the whitewashed wall behind him, and as he moved, going up as high as the thatch. And they knew then that they had looked upon a king of the poets of the gale, and a maker of the dreams of men. Of a sudden his singing stopped, and his eyes grew misty as if he was looking at some far thing. Mary Gillis was pouring whiskey into a mug that stood on a table beside him, and she left off pouring and said, Is it of leaving us you are thinking? Margaret Rooney heard what she said, and did not know why she said it, and she took the words too much in earnest and came over to him, and there was dread in her heart that she was going to lose so wonderful a poet and so good a comrade, and a man that was thought so much of, and that brought so many to her house. You would not go away from us, my heart? she said, catching him by the hand. It is not of that I am thinking, he said, but of Ireland and the weight of grief that is on her, and he leaned his head against his hand, and began to sing these words, and the sound of his voice was like the wind in a lonely place. While he was singing, his voice began to break, and tears came rolling down his cheeks, and Margaret Rooney put down her face into her hands and began to cry along with him. Then a blind beggar by the fire shook his rags with a sob and after that there was no one of them all but cried tears down. Red Hanrahan's Curse One fine May morning a long time after Hanrahan had left Margaret Rooney's house, he was walking the road near Colluny, and the sound of the birds singing in the bushes that were white with blossoms set him singing as he went. It was to his own little place he was going, that was no more than a cabin, but that pleased him well for he was tired of so many years of wandering from shelter to shelter at all times of the year, and although he was seldom refused a welcome and a share of what was in the house, 
it seemed to him sometimes that his mind was getting stiff like his joints, and it was not so easy to him as it used to be to make fun and sport through the night, and to set all the boys laughing with his pleasant talk, and to coax the women with his songs. And a while ago, he had turned into a cabin that some poor man had left to go harvesting and had never come to again. And when he had mended the thatch and made a bed in the corner with a few sacks and bushes, and had swept out the floor, he was well content to have a little place for himself, where he could go in and out as he liked, and put his head in his hands through the length of an evening if the fret was on him, and loneliness after the old times. One by one the neighbors began to send their children in to get some learning from him, and with what they brought, a few eggs or an oaten cake or a couple of sods of turf, he made out a way of living. And if he went for a wild day and night now and again to the burrow, no one would say a word, knowing him to be a poet, with wandering in his heart. It was from the burrow he was coming that May morning, light-hearted enough, and singing some new song that had come to him. But it was not long till a hare ran across his path, and made a way into the fields through the loose stones of the wall. And he knew it was no good sign a hare to have crossed his path and he remembered the hare that had led him away to sleeve at the time Mary Lavelle was waiting for him, and how he had never known content for any length of time since then. And it is likely enough they are putting some bad thing before me now, he said. And after he said that he heard the sound of crying in the field beside him, and he looked over the wall. And there he saw a young girl sitting under a bush of white hawthorn, and crying as if her heart would break. Her face was hidden in her hands, but her soft hair and her white neck and the young look of her put him in mind of Bridget Purcell and Margaret Gillane and Maeve Connie Lawn and Una Curry and Celia Driscoll and the rest of the girls he had made songs for and had coaxed the heart from with his flattering tongue. She looked up, and he saw her to be a girl of the neighbors, a farmer's daughter. What is on you, Nora? he said. Nothing you could take from me, Red Hanrahan. If there is any sorrow on you it is I myself should be well able to serve you, he said then, for it is I know the history of the Greeks, and I know well what sorrow is in parting, and the hardship of the world. And if I am not able to save you from trouble, he said, there is many a one I have saved from it with the power that is in my songs, as it was in the songs of the poets that were before me from the beginning of the world. And it is with the rest of the poets I myself will be sitting and talking in some far place beyond the world, to the end of life and time, he said. The girl stopped her crying, and she said, Owen Harahan, I often heard you have had sorrow and persecution, and that you know all the troubles of the world since the time you refused your love to the queen woman in Sleeve Ech, and that she never left you in quiet since. But when it is people of this earth that have harmed you, it is yourself knows well the way to put harm on them again. And will you do now what I ask you, Owen Hanrahan, she said. I will do that indeed, said he. It is my father and my mother and my brothers, she said, that are marrying me to old Paddy Doe, because he has a farm of a hundred acres under the mountain. And it is what you can do, Hanrahan, she said, put him into a rhyme the same way you put old Peter Kilmartin in one the time you were young, that sorrow may be over him rising up and lying down, that will put him thinking of Kalluni churchyard and not of marriage. And let you make no delay about it, for it is for tomorrow they have the marriage settled and I would sooner see the sun rise on the day of my death than on that day. I will put him into a song that will bring shame and sorrow over him. But tell me how many years has he, for I would put them in the song? Oh, he has years upon years. 
He is as old as you yourself, read Hanrahan. As old as myself, said Hanrahan, and his voice was as if broken, as old as myself. There are twenty years and more between us. It is a bad day indeed for Owen Hanrahan when a young girl with the blossom of May in her cheeks thinks him to be an old man. And my grief, he said, you have put a thorn in my heart. He turned from her then and went down the road till he came to a stone, and he sat down on it, for it seemed as if all the weight of the years had come on him in the minute. And he remembered it was not many days ago that a woman in some house had said, It is not red Hanrahan you are now but yellow Hanrahan, for your hair is turned to the color of a wisp of tow. And another woman he had asked for a drink had not given him new milk but sour. And sometimes the girls would be whispering and laughing with young ignorant men while he himself was in the middle of giving out his poems or his talk. And he thought of the stiffness of his joints when he first rose of a morning, and the pain of his knees after making a journey, and it seemed to him as if he was come to be a very old man, with cold in the shoulders and speckled shins and his wind breaking, and he himself withering away. And with those thoughts there came on him a great anger against old age and all it brought with it. And just then he looked up and saw a great spotted eagle sailing slowly towards Ballygolly, and he cried out, You, too, eagle of Ballygolly, are old, and your wings are full of gaps, and I will put you and your ancient comrades, the pike of Dargan Lake and the yew of the steep place of the strangers into my rhyme, that there may be a curse on you forever. There was a bush beside him to the left, flowering like the rest, and a little gust of wind blew the white blossoms over his coat. May blossoms, he said, gathering them up in the hollow of his hand, you never know age because you die away in your beauty, and I will put you into my rhyme and give you my blessing. He rose up then and plucked a little branch from the bush, and carried it in his hand. But it is old and broken he looked going home that day with the stoop in his shoulders and the darkness in his face. When he got to his cabin there was no one there, and he went and lay down on the bed for a while as he was used to do when he wanted to make a poem or a praise or a curse. And it was not long he was in making it this time, for the power of the curse-making bards was upon him. And when he had made it he searched his mind how he could send it out over the whole countryside. Some of the scholars began coming in then, to see if there would be any school that day, and Hanrahan rose up and sat on the bench by the hearth, and they all stood around him. They thought he would bring out the Virgil, or the Mass Book, or the Primer, but instead of that he held up the little branch of hawthorn he had in his hand yet. Children, he said, this is a new lesson I have for you today. You yourselves and the beautiful people of the world are like this blossom. And old age is the wind that comes and blows the blossom away. And I have made a curse upon old age and upon the old men. And listen now while I give it out to you. And this is what he said. He said it over to the children verse by verse till all of them could say a part of it, and some that were the quickest could say the whole of it. That will do for today, he said then. And what you have to do now is to go out and sing that song for a while, to the tune of the green bunch of rushes, to everyone you meet and to the old men themselves. I will do that, said one of the little lads. I know old Paddy Dowell. Last St. John's Eve we drop a mouse down his chimney, but this is better than a mouse. I will go into the town of Sligo and sing it in the street, said another of the boys. Do that, said Hanrahan, and go into the borough and tell it to Margaret Rooney and Mary Gillis, and bid them sing to it, and to make the beggars and the bacacs sing it wherever they go. The children ran out then, full of pride and of mischief, 
calling out the song as they ran, and Hanrahan knew there was no danger it would not be heard. He was sitting outside the door the next morning, looking at his scholars as they came by in twos and threes. They were nearly all come, and he was considering the place of the sun in the heavens to know whether it was time to begin, when he heard a sound that was like the buzzing of a swarm of bees in the air, or the rushing of a hidden river in time of flood. Then he saw a crowd coming up to the cabin from the road, and he took notice that all the crowd was made up of old men, and that the leaders of it were Paddy Bruin, Michael Gill and Paddy Doe, and there was not one in the crowd but had in his hand an ash stick or a blackthorn. As soon as they caught sight of him, the sticks began to wave hither and thither like branches in a storm, and the old feet to run. He waited no longer, but made off up the hill behind the cabin till he was out of their sight. After a while he came back round the hill, where he was hidden by the firs growing along the ditch. And when he came in sight of his cabin he saw that all the old men had gathered around it, and one of them was just at that time thrusting a rake with a wisp of lighted straw on it into the thatch. My grief, he said, I have set old age and time and weariness and sickness against me, and I must go wandering again. And O blessed queen of heaven, he said, protect me from the eagle of Baligali, the yew tree of the steep place of the strangers, the pike of Castle Dargan Lake, and from the lighted wisps of their kindred, the old men. Hanrahan's Vision It was in the month of June Hanrahan was on the road near Sligo, but he did not go into the town, but turned towards Bain Bulban for there were thoughts of the old times coming upon him, and he had no mind to meet with common men. And as he walked he was singing to himself a song that had come to him one time in his dreams. Hanrahan had begun to climb the mountain then, and he gave over singing, for it was a long climb for him, and every now and again he had to sit down and to rest for a while. And one time he was resting he took notice of a wild briar bush, with blossoms on it, that was growing beside a rath and it brought to mind the wild roses he used to bring to Mary Lavelle, and to no woman after her. And he tore off a little branch of the bush, that had buds on it, and open blossoms, and he went on with his song. And he went on climbing the hill, and left the wrath, and there came to his mind some of the old poems that told of lovers, good and bad, and of some that were awakened from the sleep of the grave itself by the strength of one another's love, and brought away to a life in some shadowy place where they are waiting for the judgment, and banished from the face of God. And at last, at the fall of day, he came to the steep gap of the strangers, and there he laid himself down along a ridge of rock, and looked into the valley, that was full of grey mist spreading from mountain to mountain. And it seemed to him as he looked that the mist changed to shapes of shadowy men and women, and his heart began to beat with the fear and the joy of the sight. And his hands, that were always restless, began to pluck off the leaves of the roses on the little branch, and he watched them as they went floating down into the valley in a little fluttering troop. Suddenly he heard a faint music, a music that had more laughter in it, and more crying than all the music of this world. And his heart rose when he heard that, and he began to laugh out loud, for he knew that music was made by some who had a beauty and a greatness beyond the people of this world. And it seemed to him that the little soft rose leaves as they went fluttering down into the valley began to change their shape till they looked like a troop of men and women far off in the mist, with the color of the roses on them. And then that color changed to many colors, and what he saw was a long line of tall beautiful young men, and of queen women, that were not going from him but coming towards him and past him, 
and their faces were full of tenderness for all their proud looks, and were very pale and worn, as if they were seeking and ever seeking for high sorrowful things. And shadowy arms were stretched out of the mist as if to take hold of them, but could not touch them, for the quiet that was about them could not be broken. And before them and beyond them, but at a distance as if in reverence, there were other shapes, sinking and rising and coming and going, and Hammerhan knew them by their whirling flight to be the city, the ancient defeated gods, and the shadowy arms did not rise to take hold of them, for they were of those that can neither sin nor obey. And they all lessened then in the distance, and they seemed to be going towards the white door that is in the side of the mountain. The mist spread out before him now like a deserted sea washing the mountains with long gray waves, but while he was looking at it, it began to fill again with a flowing broken witless life that was a part of itself, and arms and pale heads covered with tossing hair appeared in the grayness. It rose higher and higher till it was level with the edge of the steep rock, and then the shapes grew to be solid, and a new procession half lost in mist passed very slowly with uneven steps, and in the midst of each shadow there was something shining in the starlight. They came nearer and nearer, and Hammerhand saw that they also were lovers and that they had heart-shaped mirrors instead of hearts, and they were looking and ever looking on their own faces in one another's mirrors. They passed on, sinking downward as they passed, and other shapes rose in their place, and these did not keep side by side, but followed after one another, holding out wild beckoning arms, and he saw that those who were followed were women, and as to their heads they were beyond all beauty, but as to their bodies they were but shadows without life and their long hair was moving and trembling about them, as if it lived with some terrible life of its own. And then the mist rose of a sudden and hid them, and then a light gust of wind blew them away towards the northeast, and covered Hanrahan at the same time with a white wing of cloud. He stood up trembling and was going to turn away from the valley, when he saw two dark and half-hidden forms standing as if in the air just beyond the rock and one of them that had the sorrowful eyes of a beggar said to him in a woman's voice, Speak to me, for no one in this world or any other world has spoken to me for seven hundred years. Tell me who are those that have passed by, said Hanrahan. Those that pass first, the woman said, are the lovers that had the greatest name in the old times, Blanid and Deirdre and Grania and their dear comrades, and a great many that are not so well known but are as well loved and because it was not only the blossom of youth they were looking for in one another, but the beauty that is as lasting as the night and the stars, the night and the stars hold them forever from the warring and the perishing, in spite of the wars and the bitterness their love brought into the world. And those that came next, she said, and that still breathe the sweet air and have the mirrors in their hearts, are not put in songs by the poets, because they sought only to triumph one over the other, and so to prove their strength and beauty and out of this they made a kind of love. And as to the women with shadow bodies, they desire neither to triumph nor to love but only to be loved, and there is no blood in their hearts or in their bodies until it flows through them from a kiss, and their life is but for a moment. All these are unhappy, but I am the unhappiest of all, for I am Dervidilla, and this is Dermot, and it was our sin brought the Norman into Ireland. And the curses of all the generations are upon us and none are punished as we are punished. It was but the blossom of the man and of the woman we loved in one another, the dying beauty of the dust, and not the everlasting beauty. When we died there was no lasting unbreakable quiet about us, and the bitterness of the battles we brought into Ireland turned to our own punishment. We go wandering together forever, 
but Dermot that was my lover sees me always as a body that has been a long time in the ground, and I know that is the way he sees me. Ask me more, ask me more, for all the years have left their wisdom in my heart, and no one has listened to me for seven hundred years. A great terror had fallen upon Hanrahan, and lifting his arms above his head he screamed out loud three times, and the cattle in the valley lifted their heads and lowed and the birds in the wood at the edge of the mountain awaked out of their sleep and fluttered through the trembling leaves. But a little below the edge of the rock, the troop of rose leaves still fluttered in the air, for the gateway of eternity had opened and shut again in one beat of the heart. The Death of Hanrahan Hanrahan, that was never long in one place, was back again among the villages that are at the foot of Slevech, Eliton and Scalp and Balali, stopping sometimes in one house and sometimes in another and finding a welcome in every place for the sake of the old times and of his poetry and his learning. There was some silver and some copper money in the little leather bag under his coat, but it was seldom he needed to take anything from it, for it was little he used, and there was not one of the people that would have taken payment from him. His hand had grown heavy on the blackthorn he leaned on, and his cheeks were hollow and worn, but so far as food went, potatoes and milk and a bit of oaten cake, he had what he wanted of it and it is not on the edge of so wild and boggy a place as a mug of spirits would be wanting, with the taste of the turf smoke on it. He would wander about the big wood at Kinnadife, or he would sit through many hours of the day among the rushes about Lake Belshrag, listening to the streams from the hills, or watching the shadows in the brown bog pools, sitting so quiet as not to startle the deer that came down from the heather to the grass and the tilled fields at the fall of night. As the days went by it seemed as if he was beginning to belong to some world out of sight and misty, that has for its mirroring the colors that are beyond all other colors and the silences that are beyond all silences of this world. And sometimes he would hear coming and going in the wood music that when it stopped went from his memory like a dream, and once in the stillness of midday he heard a sound like the clashing of many swords, that went on for long time without any break. And at the fall of night, and at moonrise the lake would grow to be like a gateway of silver and shining stones, and there would come from its silence the faint sound of keening and a frightened laughter broken by the wind, and many pale beckoning hands. He was sitting looking into the water one evening in harvest time, thinking of all the secrets that were shut into the lakes and the mountains, when he heard a cry coming from the south, very faint at first, but getting louder and clearer as the shadow of the rushes grew longer, till he could hear the words, I am beautiful. I am beautiful. The birds in the air, the moss under the leaves, the flies over the water look at me. For they never saw anyone so beautiful as myself. I am young, I am young. Look upon me, mountains. Look upon me, perishing woods, for my body will shine like the white waters when you have been hurried away. You and the whole race of men, and the race of the beasts, and the race of the fish, and the winged race are dropping like a candle that is nearly burned out but I laugh out because I am in my youth. The voice would break off from time to time, as if tired, and then it would begin again, calling out always the same words, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. Presently the bushes at the edge of the little lake trembled for a moment, and a very old woman forced her way among them, and passed by. Hanrahan, walking with very slow steps. Her face was of the color of earth, and more wrinkled than the face of any old hag that was ever seen and her gray hair was hanging in wisps, and the rags she was wearing did not hide her dark skin that was roughened by all weathers. She passed by him with her eyes wide open, and her head high, 
and her arms hanging straight beside her, and she went into the shadow of the hills towards the west. A sort of dread came over Hanrahan when he saw her, for he knew her to be one Winnie Byrne, that went begging from place to place crying always the same cry, and he had often heard that she had once such wisdom that all the women of the neighbors used to go looking for advice from her, and that she had a voice so beautiful that men and women would come from every part to hear her sing at a wake or a wedding, and that the others, the great city, had stolen her wits one Samhain night many years ago, when she had fallen asleep on the edge of a wrath, and had seen in her dreams the servants of Ech of the Hills. And as she vanished away up the hillside, it seemed as if her cry, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, was coming from among the stars in the heavens. There was a cold wind creeping among the rushes, and Hanrahan began to shiver, and he rose up to go to some house where there would be a fire on the hearth. But instead of turning down the hill as he was used, he went on up the hill, along the little track that was maybe a road and maybe the dry bed of a stream. It was the same way Winnie had gone and it led to the little cabin where she stopped when she stopped in any place at all. He walked very slowly up the hill as if he had a great load on his back, and at last he saw a light a little to the left, and he thought it likely it was from Winnie's house it was shining, and he turned from the path to go to it. But clouds had come over the sky, and he could not well see his way, and after he had gone a few steps his foot slipped and he fell into a bog drain, and though he dragged himself out of it, Holding on to the roots of the heather, the fall had given him a great shake, and he felt better fit to lie down than to go traveling. But he had always great courage, and he made his way on, step by step, till at last he came to Winnie's cabin, that had no window, but the light was shining from the door. He thought to go into it and to rest for a while, but when he came to the door he did not see Winnie inside it, but what he saw was four old gray-haired women playing cards but Winnie herself was not among them. Hanrahan sat down on a heap of turf beside the door, for he was tired out and out, and had no wish for talking or for card playing, and his bones and his joints aching the way they were. He could hear the four women talking as they played, and calling out their hands. And it seemed to him that they were saying, like the strange man in the barn long ago, spades and diamonds, courage and power, clubs and hearts, knowledge and pleasure and he went on saying those words over and over to himself, and whether or not he was in his dreams, the pain that was in his shoulder never left him. And after a while the four women in the cabin began to quarrel, and each one to say the other had not played fair, and their voices grew from loud to louder, and their screams and their curses, till at last the whole air was filled with the noise of them around and above the house, and Hanrahan, hearing it between sleep and waking, said that is the sound of the fighting between the friends and the ill-wishers of a man that is near his death. And I wonder, he said, who is the man in this lonely place that is near his death? It seemed as if he had been asleep a long time, and he opened his eyes, and the face he saw over him was the old wrinkled face of Winnie of the Cross Road. She was looking hard at him, as if to make sure he was not dead, and she wiped away the blood that had grown dry on his face with a wet cloth, and after a while she partly helped him and partly lifted him into the cabin, and laid him down on what served her for a bed. She gave him a couple of potatoes from a pot on the fire, and what served him better, a mug of spring water. He slept a little now and again, and sometimes he heard her singing to herself as she moved about the house, and so the night wore away. When the sky began to brighten with the dawn he felt for the bag where his little store of money was, 
and held it out to her, and she took out a bit of copper and a bit of silver money, but she let it drop again as if it was nothing to her, maybe because it was not money she was used to beg for, but food and rags, or maybe because the rising of the dawn was filling her with pride and a new belief in her own great beauty. She went out and cut a few armfuls of heather, and brought it in, and heaped it over Hammerhan, saying something about the cold of the morning, and while she did that he took notice of the wrinkles in her face, and the grayness of her hair, and the broken teeth that were black and full of gaps. And when he was well covered with the heather she went out of the door and away down the side of the mountain, and he could hear her cry, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, getting less and less as she went, till at last it died away altogether. Hammerhan lay there through the length of the day, in his pains and his weakness, and when the shadows of the evening were falling he heard her voice again coming up the hillside, and she came in and boiled the potatoes and shared them with him the same way as before. And one day after another passed like that, and the weight of his flesh was heavy about him. But little by little as he grew weaker he knew there was some greater than himself in the room with him, and that the house began to be filled with them and it seemed to him they had all power in their hands, and that they might with one touch of the hand break down the wall the hardness of pain had built about him, and take him into their own world. And sometimes he could hear voices, very faint and joyful, crying from the rafters or out of the flame on the hearth, and other times the whole house was filled with music that went through it like a wind. And after a while his weakness left no place for pain, and there grew up about him a great silence like the silence in the heart of a lake, and there came through it like the flame of a rushlight the faint joyful voices ever and always. One morning he heard music somewhere outside the door, and as the day passed it grew louder and louder until it drowned the faint joyful voices, and even Winnie's cry upon the hillside at the fall of evening. About midnight and in a moment— the walls seemed to melt away and to leave his bed floating on a pale misty light that shone on every side as far as the eye could see, and after the first blinding of his eyes he saw that it was full of great shadowy figures rushing here and there. At the same time the music came very clearly to him, and he knew that it was but the continual clashing of swords. I am after my death, he said, and in the very heart of the music of heaven. O Cherahim and Seraphim, receive my soul. At his cry the light where it was nearest to him filled with sparks of yet brighter light, and he saw that these were the points of swords turned towards his heart, and then a sudden flame, bright and burning like God's love or God's hate, swept over the light and went out and he was in darkness. At first he could see nothing, for all was as dark as if there was black bog earth about him, but all of a sudden the fire blazed up as if a wisp of straw had been thrown upon it. And as he looked at it, the light was shining on the big pot that was hanging from a hook, and on the flat stone where Winnie used to bake a cake now and again, and on the long rusty knife she used to be cutting the roots of the heather with, and on the long blackthorn stick he had brought into the house himself. And when he saw those four things, some memory came into Hanrahan's mind, and strength came back to him, and he rose sitting up in the bed, and he said very loud and clear, The cauldron, the stone, the sword, the spear. What are they? Who do they belong to? And I have asked the question this time, he said. And then he fell back again, weak, and the breath going from him. Winnie Byrne, that had been tending the fire, came over then, having her eyes fixed on the bed, and the faint laughing voices began crying out again, and a pale light, gray like a wave, came creeping over the room, and he did not know from what secret world it came. 
He saw Winnie's withered face and her withered arms that were gray like crumbled earth, and weak as he was he shrank back farther towards the wall. And then there came out of the mud-stiffened rags arms as white and as shadowy as the foam on a river, and they were put about his body, and a voice that he could hear well but that seemed to come from a long way off said to him in a whisper, You will go looking for me no more upon the breasts of women. Who are you? he said then. I am one of the lasting people, of the lasting unwearied voices, that make my dwelling in the broken and the dying, and those that have lost their wits, and I came looking for you, and you are mine until the whole world is burned out like a candle that is spent. And look up now, she said, for the wisps that are for our wedding are lighted. He saw then that the house was crowded with pale shadowy hands, and that every hand was holding what was sometimes like a wisp lighted for a marriage and sometimes like a tall white candle for the dead. When the sun rose on the morning of the morrow Winnie of the crossroads rose up from where she was sitting beside the body, and began her begging from townland to townland, singing the same song as she walked, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. The birds in the air, the moths under the leaves, the flies over the water look at me. Look at me, perishing woods, for my body will be shining like the lake water after you have been hurried away. You and the old race of men, and the race of the beasts, and the race of the fish, and the winged race, are wearing away like a candle that has been burned out. But I laugh out loud, because I am in my youth. She did not come back that night or any night to the cabin, and it was not till the end of two days that the turf cutters going to the bog found the body of Red Owen Hammerhan, and gathered men to wake him and women to keen him, and gave him a burying worthy of so great a poet. Stories of Red Hanrahan By W. B. Yates Red Hanrahan Hanrahan, the hedge schoolmaster, a tall, strong, red-haired young man, came into the barn where some of the men of the village were sitting on Samhain Eve. It had been a dwelling house, and when the man that owned it had built a better one, he had put the two rooms together, and kept it for a place to store one thing or another. There was a fire on the old hearth, and there were dip candles stuck in bottles and there was a black cord bottle upon some boards that had been put across two barrels to make a table. Most of the men were sitting beside the fire, and one of them was singing a long wandering song about a Munster man and a Connaught man that were quarreling about their two provinces. Hammerhan went to the man of the house and said, I got your message. But when he had said that, he stopped, for an old mountainy man that had a shirt and trousers of unbleached flannel, and that was sitting by himself near the door, was looking at him and moving an old pack of cards about in his hands and muttering. Don't mind him, said the man of the house. He is only some stranger came in a while ago, and we bade him welcome, it being some hay night, but I think he is not in his right wits. Listen to him now, and you will hear what he is saying. They listened then, and they could hear the old man muttering to himself as he turned the cards, spades and diamonds, courage and power, clubs and hearts, knowledge and pleasure. That is the kind of talk he has been going on with for the last hour, said the man of the house, and Harahan turned his eyes from the old man as if he did not like to be looking at him. I got your message, Hanrahan said then. He is in the barn with his three first cousins from Kilcreus, the messenger said, and there are some of the neighbors with them. It is my cousin over there is wanting to see you, said the man of the house, and he called over a young frieze-coated man, who was listening to the song and said, This is Red Hanrahan you have the message for. It is a kind message, indeed, said the young man, for it comes from your sweetheart, Mary Lavelle.
How would you get a message from her, and what do you know of her? I don't know her, indeed, but I was in Lacria yesterday, and a neighbor of hers that had some dealings with me was saying that she bade him send you word, if he met any one from this side in the market, that her mother has died from her, and if you have a mind yet to join with herself, she is willing to keep her word to you. I will go to her indeed, said Hanrahan, and she bade you make no delay, for if she has not a man in the house before the month is out, it is likely the little bit of land will be given to another. When Hanrahan heard that, he rose up from the bench he had sat down on. I will make no delay indeed, he said, there is a full moon, and if I get as far as Giltrice tonight, I will reach to her before the setting of the sun tomorrow. When the others heard that, they began to laugh at him for being in such haste to go to his sweetheart, and one asked him if he would leave his school in the old limekiln, where he was giving the children such good learning. But he said the children would be glad enough in the morning to find the place empty, and no one to keep them at their task, and as for his school he could set it up again in any place, having as he had his little inkpot hanging from his neck by a chain, and his big Virgil and his primer in the skirt of his coat. Some of them asked him to drink a glass before he went, and a young man caught hold of his coat, and said he must not leave them without singing the song he had made in praise of Venus and of Mary Lavelle. He drank a glass of whiskey, but he said he would not stop but would set out on his journey. There's time enough, Red Hanrahan, said the man of the house. It will be time enough for you to give up sport when you are after your marriage, and it might be a long time before we will see you again. I will not stop, said Hanrahan. My mind would be on the roads all the time, bringing me to the woman that sent for me, and she lonesome and watching till I come. Some of the others came about him, pressing him that had been such a pleasant comrade, so full of songs and every kind of trick and fun, not to leave them till the night would be over, but he refused them all, and shook them off, and went to the door. But as he put his foot over the threshold, the strange old man stood up and put his hand that was thin and withered like a bird's claw on Harahan's hand, and said, It is not Harahan, the learned man and the great song-maker, that should go out from a gathering like this, on a Samhain night. And stop here, now, he said, and play a hand with me, and here is an old pack of cards has done its work many a night before this, and old as it is, there has been much of the riches of the world lost, and won over it. One of the young men said, it isn't much of the riches of the world has stopped with yourself, old man. And he looked at the old man's bare feet, and they all laughed. But Hanrahan did not laugh, but he sat down very quietly, without a word. Then one of them said, So you will stop with us after all, Hanrahan. And the old man said, He will stop indeed. Did you not hear me asking him? They all looked at the old man then as if wondering where he came from. It is far I am come, he said, Through France I have come and through Spain, and by lock grain of the hidden mouth, and none has refused me anything, and then he was silent, and nobody liked to question him, and they began to play. There were six men at the boards playing, and the others were looking on behind. They played two or three games for nothing, and then the old man took a fourpenny bit, worn very thin and smooth, out from his pocket, and he called to the rest to put something on the game. Then they all put down something on the boards, and little as it was it looked much, from the way it was shoved from one to another, first one man winning it, and then his neighbor. And sometimes the luck would go against a man, and he would have nothing left, and then one or another would lend him something, and he would pay it again out of his winnings, for either good nor bad luck stopped long with anyone. 
and once Hammerhand said as a man would say in a dream, It is time for me to be going the road. But just then a good card came to him, and he played it out, and all the money began to come to him. And once he thought of Mary Lavelle, and he sighed, and that time his luck went from him, and he forgot her again. But at last the luck went to the old man, and it stayed with him, and all they had flowed into him, and he began to laugh little laughs to himself, and to sing over and over to himself, spades and diamonds, courage and power, and so on, as if it was a verse of a song. And after a while anyone looking at the men, and seeing the way their bodies were rocking to and fro, and the way they kept their eyes on the old man's hands, would think they had drink taken, or that the whole store they had in the world was put on the cards. But that was not so, for the quart bottle had not been disturbed since the game began, and was nearly full yet, and all that was on the game was a few sixpenny bits and shillings, and maybe a handful of coppers. You are good men to win and good men to lose, said the old man, you have play in your hearts. He began then to shuffle the cards and to mix them, very quick and fast, till at last they could not see them to be cards at all, but you would think him to be making rings of fire in the air as little lads would make them with whirling a lighted stick, and after that it seemed to them that all the room was dark, and they could see nothing but his hands and the cards. And all in a minute a hare made a leap out from between his hands, and whether it was one of the cards that took that shape, or whether it was made out of nothing in the palms of his hands, nobody knew, but there it was running on the floor of the barn, as quick as any hare that ever lived. Some looked at the hare, but more kept their eyes on the old man and while they were looking at him a hound made a leap out between his hands, the same way as the hare did, and after that another hound and another, till there was a whole pack of them following the hare round and round the barn. The players were all standing up now, with their backs to the boards, shrinking from the hounds, and nearly deafened with the noise of their yelping, but as quick as the hounds were they could not overtake the hare, but it went round, till at the last it seemed as if a blast of wind burst open the barn door and the hare doubled and made a leap over the boards where the men had been playing, and went out of the door and away through the night, and the hounds over the boards and through the door. After it. Then the old man called out, Follow the hounds, follow the hounds, and it is a great hunt you will see tonight, and he went out after them. But used as the men were to go hunting after hares, and ready as they were for any sport, they were in dread to go out into the night, and it was only Hanrahan that rose up and that said, I will follow. I will follow on. You had best stop here, Hanrahan, the young man that was nearest him said, for you might be going into some great danger. But Hanrahan said, I will see fair play, I will see fair play, and he went stumbling out of the door like a man in a dream, and the door shut after him as he went. He thought he saw the old man in front of him, but it was only his own shadow that the full moon cast on the road before him but he could hear the hounds crying after the hare over the wide green fields of Granick, and he followed them very fast for there was nothing to stop him, and after a while he came to smaller fields that had little walls of loose stones around them, and he threw the stones down as he crossed them, and did not wait to put them up again, and he passed by the place where the river goes underground at Ballylee, and he could hear the hounds going before him up towards the head of the river. Soon he found it harder to run, for it was uphill he was going, and clouds came over the moon, and it was hard for him to see his way, and once he left the path to take a short cut, but his foot slipped into a bog hole and he had to come back to it. And how long he was going he did not know, or what way he went, but at last he was up on the bare mountain, 
with nothing but the rough heather about him, and he could neither hear the hounds nor any other thing. But their cry began to come to him again, at first far off and then very near, and when it came quite close to him, it went up all of a sudden into the air, and there was the sound of hunting over his head, then it went away northward till he could hear nothing more at all. That's not fair, he said, that's not fair, and he could walk no longer, but sat down on the heather where he was, in the heart of Slievech, for all the strength had gone from him, with the dint of the long journey he had made. And after a while he took notice that there was a door close to him, and a light coming from it, and he wondered that being so close to him he had not seen it before. And he rose up, and tired as he was he went in at the door, of and although it was night time outside, it was daylight he found within. And presently he met with an old man that had been gathering summertime and yellow flag flowers, and it seemed as if all the sweet smells of the summer were with them. And the old man said, It is a long time you have been coming to us, Hammerhan the learned man and the great songmaker. And with that he brought him into a very big shining house, and every grand thing Hammerhan had ever heard of, and every color he had ever seen, were in it. There was a high place at the end of the house, and on it there was sitting in a high chair a woman, the most beautiful the world ever saw, having a long pale face and flowers about it, but she had the tired look of one that had been long waiting. And there was sitting on the step below her chair four gray old women, and the one of them was holding a great cauldron in her lap, and another a great stone on her knees, and heavy as it was it seemed light to her, and another of them had a very long spear that was made of pointed wood, and the last of them had a sword that was without a scabbard. Red Hammerhan stood looking at them for a long Hammerhan time, but none of them spoke any word to him or looked at him at all. And he had it in his mind to ask who that woman in the chair was, that was like a queen, and what she was waiting for. But ready as he was with his tongue and afraid of no person, he was in dread now to speak to so beautiful a woman, and in so grand a place. And then he thought to ask what were the four things the four gray old women were holding like great treasures, but he could not think of the right words to bring out. Then the first of the old women rose up, holding the cauldron between her two hands, and she said pleasure, and Hanrahan said no word. Then the second old woman rose up with the stone in her hands, and she said power, and the third old woman rose up with the spear in her hand, and she said courage, and the last of the old women rose up having the sword in her hands, and she said knowledge, and everyone, after she had spoken, waited as if for Hanrahan to question her, but he said nothing at all. And then the four old women went out of the door, bringing their tur treasures with them, and as they went out one of them said, He has no wish for us, and another said, He is weak, he is weak, and another said, He is afraid, and the last said, His wits are gone from him. And then they all said, Ech, daughter of the silver hand, must stay in her sleep. It is a pity, it is a great pity. And then the woman that was like a queen gave a very sad sigh, and it seemed to Hanrahan as if the sigh had the sound in it of hidden streams and if the place he was in had been ten times grander and more shining than it was, he could not have hindered sleep from coming on him, and he staggered like a drunken man and lay down there and then. When Hanrahan awoke, the sun was shining on his face, but there was white frost on the grass around him, and there was ice on the edge of the stream he was lying by, and that goes running on through Darekale and Druimdarad. He knew by the shape of the hills and by the shining of locked grain in the distance that he was upon one of the hills of Slievech, but he was not sure how he came there, 
for all that had happened in the barn had gone from him, and all of his journey but the soreness of his feet and the stiffness in his bones. It was a year after that, there were men of the village of Capactical sitting by the fire in a house on the roadside, and Red Hanrahan that was now very thin and worn and his hair very long and wild, came to the half-door and asked leave to come in and rest himself, and they bid him welcome because it was Samhain night. He sat down with them, and they gave him a glass of whiskey out of a quart bottle, and they saw the little inkpot hanging about his neck, and knew he was a scholar, and asked for stories about the Greeks. He took the Virgil out of the big pocket of his coat, but the cover was very black and swollen with the wet, and the page when he opened it was very yellow, but that was no great matter, for he looked at it like a man that had never learned to read. Some young man that was there began to laugh at him then, and to ask why did he carry so heavy a book with him when he was not able to read it. It vexed Hanrahan to hear that, and he put the Virgil back in his pocket and asked if they had a pack of cards among them, for cards were better than books. When they brought out the cards he took them and began to shuffle them, and while he was shuffling them something seemed to come into his mind, and he put his hand to his face like one that is trying to remember, and he said, Was I ever here before, or where was I on a night like this? And then of a sudden he stood up and let the cards fall to the floor, and he said, Who was it brought me a message from Mary Lavelle? We never saw you before now, and we never heard of Mary Lavelle, said the man of the house. And who is she, he said, and what is it you are talking about? It was this night a year ago, I was in a barn, and there were men playing cards, and there was money on the table, they were pushing it from one to another here and there, and I got a message and I was going out of the door to look for my sweetheart that wanted me, Mary Lavelle, and then Hanrahan called out very loud, Where have I been since then? Where was I for the whole year? It is hard to say where you might have been in that time, said the oldest of the men, or what part of the world you may have traveled, and it is like enough you have the dust of many roads on your feet, for there are many go wandering and forgetting like that, he said, when once they have been given the touch. That is true, said another of the men. I knew a woman went wandering like that through the length of seven years. She came back after, and she told her friends she had often been glad enough to eat the food that was put in the pig's trough. And it is best for you to go to the priest now, he said, and let him take off you whatever may have been put upon you. It is to my sweetheart I will go, to Mary Lavelle, said Hanrahan. It is too long I have delayed. How do I know what might have happened her in the length of a year? He was going out of the door then but they all told him it was best for him to stop the night, and to get strength for the journey, and indeed he wanted that, for he was very weak, and when they gave him food he eat it like a man that had never seen food before, and one of them said, he is eating as if he had trodden on the hungry grass. It was in the white light of the morning he set out, and the time seemed long to him till he could get to Mary Lavelle's house. But when he came to it, he found the door broken, and the thatch dropping from the roof and no living person to be seen. And when he asked the neighbors what had happened her, all they could say was that she had been put out of the house, and had married some laboring man, and they had gone looking for work to London or Liverpool or some big place. And whether she found a worse place or a better he never knew, but anyway he never met with her or with news of her again. The Twisting of the Rope Hanrahan was walking the roads one time near Kinvara at the fall of day and he heard the sound of a fiddle from a house a little way off the roadside. He turned up the path to it, 
for he never had the habit of passing by any place where there was music or dancing or good company, without going in. The man of the house was standing at the door, and when Hanrahan came near he knew him and he said, A welcome before you, Hanrahan, you have been lost to us this long time. But the woman of the house came to the door, and she said to her husband, I would be as well pleased for Hanrahan not to come in tonight, for he has no good name now among the priests, or with women that mind themselves. And I wouldn't wonder from his walk if he has a drop of drink taken. But the man said I will never. Turn away Hanrahan of the poets from my door, and with that he bade him enter. There were a good many neighbors gathered in the house, and some of them remembered Hanrahan, but some of the little lads that were in the corners had only heard of him, and they stood up to have a view of him, and one of them said, Is not that Hanrahan that had the school, and that was brought away by them? But his mother put her hand over his mouth and bade him be quiet, and not be saying things like that. For Hanrahan is apt to grow wicked, she said, if he hears talk of that story, or if anyone goes questioning him. One or another called out then, asking him for a song, but the man of the house said it was no time to ask him for a song, before he had rested himself, and he gave him whiskey in a glass, and Hanrahan thanked him and wished him good health and drank it off. The fiddler was tuning his fiddle for another dance, and the man of the house said to the young men, they would all know what dancing was like when they saw Hanrahan dance, for the like of it had never been seen since he was there before. Hanrahan said he would not dance, he had better use for his feet now, traveling as he was through the five provinces of Ireland. Just as he said that, there came in at the half-door Una, the daughter of the house, having a few bits of bog deal from Connemara in her arms for the fire. She threw them on the hearth and the flame rose up, and showed her to be very comely and smiling, and two or three of the young men rose up and asked for a dance. But Hanrahan crossed the floor and brushed the others away, and said it was with him she must dance, after the long road he had traveled before he came to her. And it is likely he said some soft word in her ear, for she said nothing against it, and stood out with him, and there were little blushes in her cheeks. Then other couples stood up, but when the dance was going to begin, Hanrahan chanced to look down, and he took notice of his boots that were worn and broken, and the ragged gray socks showing through them, and he said angrily it was a bad floor, and the music no great things, and he sat down in the dark place beside the hearth. But if he did, the girls sat down there with him. The dancing went on, and when that dance was over another was called for, and no one took much notice of Una and Red Hanrahan for a while in the corner where they were. But the mother grew to be uneasy, and she called to Una to come and help her to set the table in the inner room. But Una that had never refused her before said she would come soon, but not yet, for she was listening to whatever he was saying in her ear. The mother grew yet more uneasy then, and she would come nearer them, and let on to be stirring the fire or sweeping the hearth, and she would listen for a minute to hear what the poet was saying to her child and one time she heard him telling about white-handed Deirdre, and how she brought the sons of Usnak to their death, and how the blush in her cheeks was not so red as the blood of king's sons that was shed for her, and her sorrows had never gone out of mind, and he said it was maybe the memory of her that made the cry of the plover on the bog as sorrowful in the ear of the poets as the keening of young men for a comrade. And there would never have been that memory of her, he said, if it was not for the poets that had put her beauty in their songs and the next time she did not well understand what he was saying, but as far as she could hear, it had the sound of poetry though it was not rhymed, 
and this is what she heard him say. The sun and the moon are the man and the girl. They are my life and your life. They are traveling and ever traveling through the skies as if under the one hood. It was God made them for one another. He made your life and my life before the beginning of the world. He made them that they might go through the world, up and down, like the two best dancers that go on with the dance up and down the long floor of the barn, fresh and laughing, when all the rest are tired out and leaning against the wall. The old woman went then to where her husband was playing cards, but he would take no notice of her, and then she went to a woman of the neighbors and said, Is there no way we can get them from one another? And without waiting for an answer she said to some young men that were talking together, What good are you when you cannot make the best girl in the house come out and dance with you? And go now the whole of you, she said, and see can you bring her away from the poet's talk. But Una would not listen to any of them but only moved her hand as if to send them away. Then they called to Harahan and said he had best dance with the girl himself, or let her dance with one of them. When Hanrahan heard what they were saying he said, That is so, I will dance with her. There is no man in the house must dance with her but myself. He stood up with her then, and led her out by the hand, and some of the young men were vexed, and some began mocking at his ragged coat and his broken boots. But he took no notice and Una took no notice, but they looked at one another as if all the world belonged to themselves alone. But another couple that had been sitting together like lovers stood out on the floor at the same time, holding one another's hands and moving their feet to keep time with the music. But Hanrahan turned his back on them as if angry, and in place of dancing he began to sing, and as he sang he held her hand, and his voice grew louder, and the mocking of the young men stopped, and the fiddle stopped, and there was nothing heard but his voice that had in it the sound of the wind. And what he sang was a song he had heard or had made one time in his wanderings on Slevech, and the words of it as they can be put into English were like this. And while he was singing it Una moved nearer to him, and the color had gone from her cheek, and her eyes were not blue now, but gray with the tears that were in them, and any one that saw her would have thought she was ready to follow him there, and then from the west to the east of the world. But one of the young men called out, Where is that country he is singing about? Mind yourself, Una, it is a long way off, you might be a long time on the road before you would reach to it. And another said, It is not to the country of the young you will be going if you go with him, but to Mayo of the Bogs. Una looked at him then as if she would question him, but he raised her hand in his hand, and called out between singing and shouting, It is very near us that country is, it is on every side. It may be on the bare hill behind it is, or it may be in the heart of the wood. And he said out very loud and clear, in the heart of the wood, Oh, death will never find us in the heart of the wood. And will you come with me there, Una? he said. But while he was saying this the two old women had gone outside the door, and Una's mother was crying, and she said, He has put an enchantment on Una. Can we not get the men to put him out of the house? That is a thing you cannot do, said the other woman, for he is a poet of the gale, and you know well if you would put a poet of the gale out of the house, he would put a curse on you that would wither the corn in the fields and dry up the milk of the cows, if it had to hang in the air seven years. God help us, said the mother, and why did I ever let him into the house at all, and the wild name he has? It would have been no harm at all to have kept him outside, but there would great harm come upon you if you put him out by force. But listen to the plan I have to get him out of the house by his own doing, without anyone putting him from it at all. 
It was not long after that the two women came in again, each of them having a bundle of hay in her apron. Hanrahan was not singing now, but he was talking to Una very fast and soft, and he was saying, The house is narrow but the world is wide, and there is no true lover that need be afraid of night, or morning, or sun, or stars, or shadows of evening, or any earthly thing. Hanrahan said the mother then, striking him on the shoulder, Will you give me a hand here for a minute? Do that, Hanrahan, said the woman of the neighbors, and help us to make this hay into a rope, for you are ready with your hands, and a blast of wind has loosened the thatch on the haystack. I will do that for you, said he, and he took the little stick in his hands, and the mother began giving out the hay, and he twisting it, but he was hurrying to have done with it, and to be free again. The women went on talking and giving out the hay, and encouraging him, and saying what a good twister of a rope he was, better than their own neighbors or than any one they had ever seen. And Hanrahan saw that Una was watching him, and he began to twist very quick and with his head high, and to boast of the readiness of his hands, and the learning he had in his head, and the strength in his arms. And as he was boasting, he went backward, twisting the rope always till he came to the door that was open behind him, and without thinking he passed the threshold and was out on the road. And no sooner was he there than the mother made a sudden rush, and threw out the rope after him, and she shut the door and the half-door and put a bolt upon them. She was well pleased when she had done that, and laughed out loud, and the neighbors laughed and praised her. But they heard him beating at the door, and saying words of cursing outside it, and the mother had but time to stop Una that had her hand upon the bolt to open it. She made a sign to the fiddler then, and he began a reel, and one of the young men asked no leave but caught hold of Una and brought her into the thick of the dance. And when it was over and the fiddle had stopped, there was no sound at all of anything outside, but the road was as quiet as before. As to Hanrahan, when he knew he was shut out and that there was neither shelter nor drink nor a girl's ear for him that night, the anger and the courage went out of him, and he went on to where the waves were beating on the strand. He sat down on a big stone, and he began swinging his right arm and singing slowly to himself, the way he did always to hearten himself when every other thing failed him. And whether it was that time or another time he made the song that is called to this day the twisting of the rope, and that begins, what was the dead cat that put me in this place, is not known. But after he had been singing a while, mist and shadows seemed to gather about him, sometimes coming out of the sea, and sometimes moving upon it. It seemed to him that one of the shadows was the queen woman he had seen in her sleep at Slievech, not in her sleep now, but mocking, and calling out to them that were behind her. He was weak, he was weak, he had no courage, and he felt the strands of the rope in his hand yet, and went on twisting it, but it seemed to him as he twisted that it had all the sorrows of the world in it. And then it seemed to him as if the rope had changed in his dream into a great waterworm that came out of the sea and that twisted itself about him, and held him closer and closer, and grew from big to bigger till the whole of the earth and skies were wound up in it, and the stars themselves were but the shining of the ridges of its skin. And then he got free of it, and went on, shaking and unsteady, along the edge of the strand, and the gray shapes were flying here and there around him. And this is what they were saying, it is a pity for him that refuses the call of the daughters of the city for he will find no comfort in the love of the women of the earth to the end of life and time, and the cold of the grave is in his heart forever. It is death he has chosen, let him die, let him die, let him die.
Hanrahan, and Kathleen the daughter of Houlihan. It was traveling northward Hanrahan was one time, giving a hand to a farmer now and again in the hurried time of the year, and telling his stories and making his share of songs at wakes and at weddings. He chanced one day to overtake on the road to Kalooni one Margaret Rooney, a woman he used to know in Munster when he was a young man. She had no good name at that time, and it was the priest routed her out of the place at last. He knew her by her walk and by the color of her eyes, and by a way she had of putting back the hair off her face with her left hand. She had been wandering about, she said, selling herrings and the like, and now she was going back to Sligo, to the place in the borough where she was living with another woman, Mary Gillis, who had much the same story as herself. She would be well pleased, she said, if he would come and stop in the house with them, and be singing his songs to the bacacs and blind men and fiddlers of the borough. She remembered him well, she said, and had a wish for him, and as to Mary Gillis, she had some of his songs off by heart, so he need not be afraid of not getting good treatment, and all the bacacs and poor men that heard him would give him a share of their own earnings for his stories and his songs while he was with them, and would carry his name into all the parishes of Ireland. He was glad enough to go with her, and to find a woman to be listening to the story of his troubles and to be comforting him. It was at the moment of the fall of day when every man may pass as handsome and every woman as comely. She put her arm about him when he told her of the misfortune of the twisting of the rope, and in the half-light she looked as well as another. They kept in talk all the way to the burrow, and as for Mary Gillis, when she saw him and heard who he was, she went near crying to think of having a man with so great a name in the house. Hanrahan was well pleased to settle down with them for a while, for he was tired with wandering and since the day he found the little cabin fallen in, and Mary Lavelle gone from it, and the thatch scattered, he had never asked to have any place of his own, and he had never stopped long enough in any place to see the green leaves come where he had seen the old leaves wither, or to see the wheat harvested where he had seen it sown. It was a good change to him to have shelter from the wet, and a fire in the evening time, and his share of food put on the table without the asking. He made a good many of his songs while he was living there, so well cared for and so quiet, the most of them were love songs, but some were songs of repentance, and some were songs about Ireland and her griefs, under one name or another. Every evening the bacacs and beggars and blind men and fiddlers would gather into the house and listen to his songs and his poems, and his stories about the old time of the Fianna, and they kept them in their memories that were never spoiled with books, and so they brought his name to every wake and wedding and pattern in the whole of Connaught. He was never so well off or made so much of as he was at that time. One evening of December he was singing a little song that he said he had heard from the green plover of the mountain, about the fair-haired boys that had left Limerick, and that were wandering and going astray in all parts of the world. There were a good many people in the room that night, and two or three little lads that had crept in, and sat on the floor near the fire and were too busy with the roasting of a potato in the ashes or some such thing to take much notice of him. But they remembered long afterwards when his name had gone up, the sound of his voice, and what way he had moved his hand, and the look of him as he sat on the edge of the bed, with his shadow falling on the whitewashed wall behind him, and as he moved, going up as high as the thatch. And they knew then that they had looked upon a king of the poets of the gale, and a maker of the dreams of men. Of a sudden his singing stopped, and his eyes grew misty as if he was looking at some far thing. 
Mary Gillis was pouring whiskey into a mug that stood on a table beside him, and she left off pouring and said, Is it of leaving us you are thinking? Margaret Rooney heard what she said, and did not know why she said it, and she took the words too much in earnest and came over to him, and there was dread in her heart that she was going to lose so wonderful a poet and so good a comrade, and a man that was thought so much of, and that brought so many to her house. You would not go away from us, my heart, she said, catching him by the hand. It is not of that I am thinking, he said, but of Ireland and the weight of grief that is on her and he leaned his head against his hand, and began to sing these words, and the sound of his voice was like the wind in a lonely place. While he was singing, his voice began to break, and tears came rolling down his cheeks, and Margaret Rooney put down her face into her hands and began to cry along with him. Then a blind beggar by the fire shook his rags with a sob, and after that there was no one of them all but cried tears down. Red Hanrahan's Curse One fine May morning a long time after Hanrahan had left Margaret Rooney's house, he was walking the road near Colooney, and the sound of the birds singing in the bushes that were white with blossoms set him singing as he went. It was to his own little place he was going, that was no more than a cabin, but that pleased him well. For he was tired of so many years of wandering from shelter to shelter at all times of the year, and although he was seldom refused a welcome and a share of what was in the house— It seemed to him sometimes that his mind was getting stiff like his joints, and it was not so easy to him as it used to be to make fun and sport through the night, and to set all the boys laughing with his pleasant talk, and to coax the women with his songs. And a while ago, he had turned into a cabin that some poor man had left to go harvesting and had never come to again. And when he had mended the thatch and made a bed in the corner with a few sacks and bushes, and had swept out the floor— He was well content to have a little place for himself, where he could go in and out as he liked, and put his head in his hands through the length of an evening if the fret was on him, and loneliness after the old times. One by one the neighbors began to send their children in to get some learning from him, and with what they brought, a few eggs or an oaten cake or a couple of sods of turf, he made out a way of living. And if he went for a wild day and night now and again to the burrow, no one would say a word, knowing him to be a poet with wandering in his heart. It was from the burrow he was coming that May morning, light-hearted enough, and singing some new song that had come to him. But it was not long till a hare ran across his path, and made a way into the fields through the loose stones of the wall. And he knew it was no good sign a hare to have crossed his path, and he remembered the hare that had led him away to sleeve at the time Mary Lavelle was waiting for him and how he had never known content for any length of time since then. And it is likely enough they are putting some bad thing before me now, he said. And after he said that he heard the sound of crying in the field beside him, and he looked over the wall. And there he saw a young girl sitting under a bush of white hawthorn, and crying as if her heart would break. Her face was hidden in her hands, but her soft hair and her white neck and the young look of her, put him in mind of Bridget Purcell and Margaret Gillane and Maeve Conilon and Una Curry and Celia Driscoll, and the rest of the girls he had made songs for and had coaxed the heart from with his flattering tongue. She looked up, and he saw her to be a girl of the neighbors, a farmer's daughter. What is on you, Nora? he said. Nothing you could take from me, Red Hanrahan. If there is any sorrow on you it is I myself should be well able to serve you, he said then for it is I know the history of the Greeks, and I know well what sorrow is in parting, and the hardship of the world. 
and if I am not able to save you from trouble, he said, there is many a one I have saved from it with the power that is in my songs, as it was in the songs of the poets that were before me from the beginning of the world. And it is with the rest of the poets I myself will be sitting and talking in some far place beyond the world, to the end of life and time, he said. The girl stopped her crying, and she said, Owen Harahan, I often heard you have had sorrow and persecution, and that you know all the troubles of the world since the time you refused your love to the queen woman in Sleeve Ech, and that she never left you in quiet since. But when it is people of this earth that have harmed you, it is yourself knows well the way to put harm on them again. And will you do now what I ask you, Owen Hanrahan, she said. I will do that indeed, said he. It is my father and my mother and my brothers, she said, that are marrying me to old Paddy Doe, because he has a farm of a hundred acres under the mountain. And it is what you can do, Hanrahan, she said, put him into a rhyme the same way you put old Peter Kilmartin in one the time you were young, that sorrow may be over him rising up and lying down, that will put him thinking of Colluny churchyard and not of marriage. And let you make no delay about it, for it is for tomorrow they have the marriage settled and I would sooner see the sun rise on the day of my death than on that day. I will put him into a song that will bring shame and sorrow over him. But tell me how many years has he, for I would put them in the song? Oh, he has years upon years. He is as old as you yourself, read Hanrahan. As old as myself, said Hanrahan, and his voice was as if broken, as old as myself. There are twenty years and more between us. It is a bad day indeed for Owen Hanrahan when a young girl with the blossom of May in her cheeks thinks him to be an old man. And my grief, he said, you have put a thorn in my heart. He turned from her then and went down the road till he came to a stone, and he sat down on it, for it seemed as if all the weight of the years had come on him in the minute. And he remembered it was not many days ago that a woman in some house had said, It is not red Hanrahan you are now but yellow Hanrahan for your hair is turned to the color of a wisp of tow, and another woman he had asked for a drink had not given him new milk but sour, and sometimes the girls would be whispering and laughing with young ignorant men while he himself was in the middle of giving out his poems or his talk. And he thought of the stiffness of his joints when he first rose of a morning, and the pain of his knees after making a journey, and it seemed to him as if he was come to be a very old man, with cold in the shoulders and speckled shins and his wind breaking, and he himself withering away. And with those thoughts there came on him a great anger against old age and all it brought with it. And just then he looked up and saw a great spotted eagle sailing slowly towards Ballygolly, and he cried out, You, too, eagle of Ballygolly, are old, and your wings are full of gaps, and I will put you and your ancient comrades, the pike of Dargan Lake and the you of the steep place of the strangers into my rhyme, that there may be a curse on you forever. There was a bush beside him to the left, flowering like the rest, and a little gust of wind blew the white blossoms over his coat. May blossoms, he said, gathering them up in the hollow of his hand, you never know age because you die away in your beauty, and I will put you into my rhyme and give you my blessing. He rose up then and plucked a little branch from the bush, and carried it in his hand. But it is old and broken he looked going home that day with the stoop in his shoulders and the darkness in his face. When he got to his cabin there was no one there, and he went and lay down on the bed for a while as he was used to do when he wanted to make a poem, or a praise or a curse. And it was not long he was in making it this time, for the power of the curse-making bards was upon him. 
and when he had made it he searched his mind how he could send it out over the whole countryside. Some of the scholars began coming in then, to see if there would be any school that day, and Harahan rose up and sat on the bench by the hearth, and they all stood around him. They thought he would bring out the Virgil, or the Mass Book, or the Primer, but instead of that he held up the little branch of hawthorn he had in his hand yet. Children, he said, this is a new lesson I have for you today. You yourselves and the beautiful people of the world are like this blossom, and old age is the wind that comes and blows the blossom away. And I have made a curse upon old age and upon the old men, and listen now while I give it out to you. And this is what he said. He said it over to the children verse by verse till all of them could say a part of it, and some that were the quickest could say the whole of it. That will do for today, he said then. And what you have to do now is to go out and sing that song for a while to the tune of the green bunch of rushes, to everyone you meet, and to the old men themselves. I will do that, said one of the little lads. I know old Paddy Dowell. Last St. John's Eve we dropped a mouse down his chimney, but this is better than a mouse. I will go into the town of Sligo and sing it in the street, said another of the boys. Do that, said Hanrahan, and go into the borough and tell it to Margaret Rooney and Mary Gillis, and bid them sing to it, and to make the beggars and the bacacs sing it wherever they go. The children ran out then, full of pride and of mischief, calling out the song as they ran, and Hanrahan knew there was no danger it would not be heard. He was sitting outside the door the next morning, looking at his scholars as they came by in twos and threes. They were nearly all come, and he was considering the place of the sun in the heavens to know whether it was time to begin, when he heard a sound that was like the buzzing of a swarm of bees in the air or the rushing of a hidden river in time of flood. Then he saw a crowd coming up to the cabin from the road, and he took notice that all the crowd was made up of old men, and that the leaders of it were Paddy Bruin, Michael Gill, and Paddy Doe, and there was not one in the crowd but had in his hand an ash stick or a blackthorn. As soon as they caught sight of him, the sticks began to wave hither and thither like branches in a storm, and the old feet to run. He waited no longer, but made off up the hill behind the cabin till he was out of their sight. After a while he came back round the hill, where he was hidden by the firs growing along a ditch. And when he came in sight of his cabin he saw that all the old men had gathered around it, and one of them was just at that time thrusting a rake with a wisp of lighted straw on it into the thatch. My grief, he said, I have set old age and time and weariness and sickness against me, and I must go wandering again. And, O blessed Queen of Heaven, he said, protect me from the eagle of Ballygolly, the yew tree of the steep place of the strangers, the pike of Castle Dargan Lake, and from the lighted wisps of their kindred, the old men. Hanrahan's Vision It was in the month of June Hanrahan was on the road near Sligo, but he did not go into the town, but turned towards Bain Bulban, for there were thoughts of the old times coming upon him, and he had no mind to meet with common men and as he walked he was singing to himself a song that had come to him one time in his dreams. Hammerhan had begun to climb the mountain then, and he gave over singing, for it was a long climb for him, and every now and again he had to sit down and to rest for a while. And one time he was resting he took notice of a wild briar bush, with blossoms on it, that was growing beside a rath, and it brought to mind the wild roses he used to bring to Mary Lavelle, and to no woman after her and he tore off a little branch of the bush that had buds on it and open blossoms, and he went on with his song. And he went on climbing the hill and left the wrath, 
and there came to his mind some of the old poems that told of lovers, good and bad, and of some that were awakened from the sleep of the grave itself by the strength of one another's love, and brought away to a life in some shadowy place, where they are waiting for the judgment, and banished from the face of God. And at last, at the fall of day, he came to the steep gap of the strangers, and there he laid himself down along a ridge of rock, and looked into the valley, that was full of gray mist spreading from mountain to mountain. And it seemed to him as he looked that the mist changed to shapes of shadowy men and women, and his heart began to beat with the fear and the joy of the sight. And his hands, that were always restless, began to pluck off the leaves of the roses on the little branch, and he watched them as they went floating down into the valley in a little fluttering troop. Suddenly he heard a faint music, a music that had more laughter in it, and more crying than all the music of this world. And his heart rose when he heard that, and he began to laugh out loud, for he knew that music was made by some who had a beauty and a greatness beyond the people of this world. And it seemed to him that the little soft rose leaves as they went fluttering down into the valley began to change their shape till they looked like a troop of men and women far off in the mist, with the color of the roses on them. And then that color changed to many colors, and what he saw was a long line of tall beautiful young men, and of queen women, that were not going from him but coming towards him and past him, and their faces were full of tenderness for all their proud looks, and were very pale and worn, as if they were seeking and ever seeking for high sorrowful things. And shadowy arms were stretched out of the mist as if to take hold of them, but could not touch them, for the quiet that was about them could not be broken. And before them and beyond them, but at a distance as if in reverence, there were other shapes, sinking and rising and coming and going, and Hammerhan knew them by their whirling flight to be the city, the ancient defeated gods, and the shadowy arms did not rise to take hold of them, for they were of those that can neither sin nor obey. And they all lessened then in the distance, and they seemed to be going towards the white door that is in the side of the mountain. The mist spread out before him now like a deserted sea washing the mountains with long gray waves. But while he was looking at it, it began to fill again with a flowing broken witless life that was a part of itself, and arms and pale heads covered with tossing hair appeared in the grayness. It rose higher and higher till it was level with the edge of the steep rock, and then the shapes grew to be solid, and a new procession half lost in mist passed very slowly with uneven steps, and in the midst of each shadow there was something shining in the starlight. They came nearer and nearer and Hammerhand saw that they also were lovers, and that they had heart-shaped mirrors instead of hearts, and they were looking and ever looking on their own faces in one another's mirrors. They passed on, sinking downward as they passed, and other shapes rose in their place, and these did not keep side by side, but followed after one another, holding out wild beckoning arms, and he saw that those who were followed were women, and as to their heads they were beyond all beauty." but as to their bodies they were but shadows without life, and their long hair was moving and trembling about them, as if it lived with some terrible life of its own. And then the mist rose of a sudden and hid them, and then a light gust of wind blew them away towards the northeast, and covered Hanrahan at the same time with a white wing of cloud. He stood up trembling and was going to turn away from the valley, when he saw two dark and half-hidden forms standing as if in the air just beyond the rock, and one of them that had the sorrowful eyes of a beggar said to him in a woman's voice, Speak to me, for no one in this world or any other world has spoken to me for seven hundred years. Tell me who are those that have passed by, said Hanrahan. 
Those that pass first, the woman said, are the lovers that had the greatest name in the old times, Blanet and Deirdre and Grania and their dear comrades, and a great many that are not so well known but are as well loved. And because it was not only the blossom of youth they were looking for in one another, but the beauty that is as lasting as the night and the stars, the night and the stars hold them forever from the warring and the perishing, in spite of the wars and the bitterness their love brought into the world. And those that came next, she said, and that still breathe the sweet air and have the mirrors in their hearts, are not put in songs by the poets, because they sought only to triumph one over the other, and so to prove their strength and beauty, and out of this they made a kind of love. And as to the women with shadow bodies, they desire neither to triumph nor to love but only to be loved, and there is no blood in their hearts or in their bodies until it flows through them from a kiss, and their life is but for a moment. All these are unhappy, but I am the unhappiest of all, for I am Dervidilla, and this is Dermot, and it was our sin brought the Norman into Ireland. And the curses of all the generations are upon us, and none are punished as we are punished. It was but the blossom of the man and of the woman we loved in one another, the dying beauty of the dust, and not the everlasting beauty. When we died there was no lasting unbreakable quiet about us, and the bitterness of the battles we brought into Ireland turned to our own punishment. We go wandering together forever, but Dermot that was my lover sees me always as a body that has been a long time in the ground, and I know that is the way he sees me. Ask me more, ask me more, for all the years have left their wisdom in my heart, and no one has listened to me for seven hundred years. A great terror had fallen upon Hanrahan, and lifting his arms above his head he screamed out loud three times, and the cattle in the valley lifted their heads and lowed and the birds in the wood at the edge of the mountain awaked out of their sleep and fluttered through the trembling leaves. But a little below the edge of the rock, the troop of rose leaves still fluttered in the air, for the gateway of eternity had opened and shut again in one beat of the heart. The Death of Hanrahan Hanrahan, that was never long in one place, was back again among the villages that are at the foot of Slevech, Eliton and Scalp and Ballily, stopping sometimes in one house and sometimes in another and finding a welcome in every place for the sake of the old times and of his poetry and his learning. There was some silver and some copper money in the little leather bag under his coat, but it was seldom he needed to take anything from it, for it was little he used, and there was not one of the people that would have taken payment from him. His hand had grown heavy on the blackthorn he leaned on, and his cheeks were hollow and worn, but so far as food went, potatoes and milk and a bit of oaten cake, he had what he wanted of it and it is not on the edge of so wild and boggy a place as Ekja mug of spirits would be wanting, with the taste of the turf smoke on it. He would wander about the big wood at Kinnadife, or he would sit through many hours of the day among the rushes about Lake Belshrag, listening to the streams from the hills, or watching the shadows in the brown bog pools, sitting so quiet as not to startle the deer that came down from the heather to the grass and the tilled fields at the fall of night. As the days went by it seemed as if he was beginning to belong to some world out of sight and misty, that has for its mirroring the colors that are beyond all other colors and the silences that are beyond all silences of this world. And sometimes he would hear coming and going in the wood music that when it stopped went from his memory like a dream, and once in the stillness of midday he heard a sound like the clashing of many swords, that went on for long time without any break. And at the fall of night, and at moonrise the lake would grow to be like a gateway of silver and shining stones, 
and there would come from its silence the faint sound of keening and a frightened laughter broken by the wind, and many pale beckoning hands. He was sitting looking into the water one evening in harvest time, thinking of all the secrets that were shut into the lakes and the mountains, when he heard a cry coming from the south, very faint at first, but getting louder and clearer as the shadow of the rushes grew longer, till he could hear the words, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. The birds in the air, the moss under the leaves, the flies over the water look at me. For they never saw anyone so beautiful as myself. I am young, I am young. Look upon me, mountains. Look upon me, perishing woods, for my body will shine like the white waters when you have been hurried away. You and the whole race of men, and the race of the beasts, and the race of the fish, and the winged race are dropping like a candle that is nearly burned out, but I laugh out because I am in my youth. The voice would break off from time to time, as if tired, and then it would begin again, calling out always the same words, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. Presently the bushes at the edge of the little lake trembled for a moment, and a very old woman forced her way among them, and passed by. Hanrahan, walking with very slow steps. Her face was of the color of earth, and more wrinkled than the face of any old hag that was ever seen, and her gray hair was hanging in wisps, and the rags she was wearing did not hide her dark skin that was roughened by all weathers. She passed by him with her eyes wide open, and her head high and her arms hanging straight beside her, and she went into the shadow of the hills towards the west. A sort of dread came over Hanrahan when he saw her, for he knew her to be one Winnie Byrne, that went begging from place to place crying always the same cry, and he had often heard that she had once such wisdom that all the women of the neighbors used to go looking for advice from her, and that she had a voice so beautiful that men and women would come from every part to hear her sing at a wake or a wedding, and that the others— the great city, had stolen her wits one Samhain night many years. Ago, when she had fallen asleep on the edge of a wrath, and had seen in her dreams the servants of Ech of the hills. And as she vanished away up the hillside, it seemed as if her cry, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, was coming from among the stars in the heavens. There was a cold wind creeping among the rushes, and Hanrahan began to shiver, and he rose up to go to some house where there would be a fire on the hearth. But instead of turning down the hill as he was used, he went on up the hill, along the little track that was maybe a road and maybe the dry bed of a stream. It was the same way Winnie had gone, and it led to the little cabin where she stopped when she stopped in any place at all. He walked very slowly up the hill as if he had a great load on his back, and at last he saw a light a little to the left, and he thought it likely it was from Winnie's house it was shining, and he turned from the path to go to it. But clouds had come over the sky, and he could not well see his way, and after he had gone a few steps his foot slipped and he fell into a bog drain, and though he dragged himself out of it, holding on to the roots of the heather, the fall had given him a great shake, and he felt better fit to lie down than to go traveling. But he had always great courage, and he made his way on, step by step, till at last he came to Winnie's cabin, that had no window, but the light was shining from the door. He thought to go into it and to rest for a while, but when he came to the door he did not see Winnie inside it, but what he saw was four old gray-haired women playing cards, but Winnie herself was not among them. Hanrahan sat down on a heap of turf beside the door, for he was tired out and out, and had no wish for talking or for card-playing, and his bones and his joints aching the way they were. He could hear the four women talking as they played, and calling out their hands.
and it seemed to him that they were saying, like the strange man in the barn long ago, spades and diamonds, courage and power, clubs and hearts, knowledge and pleasure, and he went on saying those words over and over to himself, and whether or not he was in his dreams, the pain that was in his shoulder never left him. And after a while the four women in the cabin began to quarrel, and each one to say the other had not played fair, and their voices grew from loud to louder, and their screams and their curses, till at last the whole air was filled with the noise of them around and above the house, and Hanrahan, hearing it between sleep and waking, said that is the sound of the fighting between the friends and the ill-wishers of a man that is near his death. And I wonder, he said, who is the man in this lonely place that is near his death? It seemed as if he had been asleep a long time, and he opened his eyes, and the face he saw over him was the old wrinkled face of Winnie of the Cross Road. She was looking hard at him, as if to make sure he was not dead, and she wiped away the blood that had grown dry on his face with a wet cloth, and after a while she partly helped him and partly lifted him into the cabin, and laid him down on what served her for a bed. She gave him a couple of potatoes from a pot on the fire, and what served him better, a mug of spring water. He slept a little now and again, and sometimes he heard her singing to herself as she moved about the house, and so the night wore away. When the sky began to brighten with the dawn he felt for the bag, where his little store of money was, and held it out to her, and she took out a bit of copper and a bit of silver money, but she let it drop again as if it was nothing to her, maybe because it was not money she was used to beg for, but food and rags or maybe because the rising of the dawn was filling her with pride and a new belief in her own great beauty. She went out and cut a few armfuls of heather, and brought it in and heaped it over Hammerhan, saying something about the cold of the morning, and while she did that he took notice of the wrinkles in her face, and the grayness of her hair, and the broken teeth that were black and full of gaps. And when he was well covered with the heather she went out of the door and away down the side of the mountain, and he could hear her cry, I am beautiful. I am beautiful, getting less and less as she went, till at last it died away altogether. Hammerhan lay there through the length of the day, in his pains and his weakness, and when the shadows of the evening were falling he heard her voice again coming up the hillside, and she came in and boiled the potatoes and shared them with him the same way as before. And one day after another passed like that, and the weight of his flesh was heavy about him but little by little as he grew weaker he knew there was some greater than himself in the room with him, and that the house began to be filled with them, and it seemed to him they had all power in their hands, and that they might with one touch of the hand break down the wall the hardness of pain had built about him, and take him into their own world. And sometimes he could hear voices, very faint and joyful, crying from the rafters or out of the flame on the hearth, and other times the whole house was filled with music that went through it like a wind and after a while his weakness left no place for pain, and there grew up about him a great silence like the silence in the heart of a lake, and there came through it like the flame of a rushlight the faint joyful voices ever and always. One morning he heard music somewhere outside the door, and as the day passed it grew louder and louder until it drowned the faint joyful voices, and even Winnie's cry upon the hillside at the fall of evening. About midnight and in a moment, the walls seemed to melt away and to leave his bed floating on a pale misty light that shone on every side as far as the eye could see, and after the first blinding of his eyes he saw that it was full of great shadowy figures rushing here and there. At the same time the music came very clearly to him, 
and he knew that it was but the continual clashing of swords. I am after my death, he said, and in the very heart of the music of heaven. O Cherahim and Seraphim, receive my soul. At his cry the light where it was nearest to him filled with sparks of yet brighter light, and he saw that these were the points of swords turned towards his heart, and then a sudden flame, bright and burning like God's love or God's hate, swept over the light and went out, and he was in darkness. At first he could see nothing, for all was as dark as if there was black bog earth about him, but all of a sudden the fire blazed up as if a wisp of straw had been thrown upon it. And as he looked at it, the light was shining on the big pot that was hanging from a hook, and on the flat stone where Winnie used to bake a cake now and again, and on the long rusty knife she used to be cutting the roots of the heather with, and on the long blackthorn stick he had brought into the house himself. And when he saw those four things, some memory came into Harahan's mind, and strength came back to him, and he rose sitting up in the bed, and he said very loud and clear, The cauldron, the stone, the sword, the spear. What are they? Who do they belong to? And I have asked the question this time, he said. And then he fell back again, weak, and the breath going from him. Winnie Byrne, that had been tending the fire, came over then, having her eyes fixed on the bed and the faint laughing voices began crying out again, and a pale light, gray like a wave, came creeping over the room, and he did not know from what secret world it came. He saw Winnie's withered face and her withered arms that were gray like crumbled earth, and weak as he was he shrank back farther towards the wall. And then there came out of the mud-stiffened rags arms as white and as shadowy as the foam on a river, and they were put about his body and a voice that he could hear well but that seemed to come from a long way off said to him in a whisper, You will go looking for me no more upon the breasts of women. Who are you? he said then. I am one of the lasting people, of the lasting unwearied voices, that make my dwelling in the broken and the dying, and those that have lost their wits. And I came looking for you, and you are mine until the whole world is burned out like a candle that is spent. And look up now, she said, for the wisps that are for our wedding are lighted. He saw then that the house was crowded with pale shadowy hands, and that every hand was holding what was sometimes like a wisp lighted for a marriage, and sometimes like a tall white candle for the dead. When the sun rose on the morning of the morrow Winnie of the crossroads rose up from where she was sitting beside the body, and began her begging from townland to townland, singing the same song as she walked, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. The birds in the air, the moths under the leaves, the flies over the water look at me. Look at me, perishing woods, for my body will be shining like the lake water after you have been hurried away. You and the old race of men, and the race of the beasts, and the race of the fish, and the winged race, are wearing away like a candle that has been burned out. But I laugh out loud, because I am in my youth. She did not come back that night or any night to the cabin, and it was not till the end of two days that the turf-cutters going to the bog found the body of Red Owen Hammerhan, and gathered men to wake him and women to keen him, and gave him a burying worthy of so great a poet.